Okay. Well, hi everyone. It's great to be with you today. Can you all hear me all right? Just give me a little wave or something. Oh, fantastic. Lovely to see you. And uh, Steve, can I just say a, you know, a real big thank you as well for that choice of songs. Uh, you know, that was just a, a thorough blessing. And it's been a total blessing to be with you all this morning. Um, it really has. So I've been very much enjoying that. It's amazing. This is my last preach of the of the year. Uh, you know, I've had such a busy year, um, you know, despite all the lockdowns and the different things we've all been through. Uh, you know, we've had an amazing year, an amazing year of thousands of salvations across the UK. I mean, it's been the first year in many years that I have, haven't been outside of the country. Um, so it really has been a year for the UK. Uh, the prophetess Sharon Stone prophesied to me back in 2020 that this year would be for me a, a year for the UK. And it really has been. Um, as I, since April, I mean, all our evangelists have been out on the streets, even through all the lockdowns. I don't know whether that was legal or not, but we had a good time leading people to Jesus. And, uh, and then we came out, you know, into um, in April and just did almost back on back missions, um, you know, from the beginning. Well, from the end of April, beginning of May, all the way through till July and uh, about nine missions, saw a couple of thousand come to the Lord on the streets and lots of miracles. And then we've been carrying on through that um, right up to the present and amazing, amazing things that Jesus has done. So it's been a huge privilege. But anyway, here we are. And I, I was, of course, expecting to, to do an evangelistic message, uh, you know, to be with you all in person. And I was gearing up for that. And this is my fourth message of the weekend. And so uh, anyway, the thing is, I, I totally felt, well, this is very unlikely to be an evangelistic message. Um, seeing you all take communion and worship Jesus, it doesn't look like you need to be saved again. So, um, <laughs> so I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to share a word of encouragement for everybody here. And I wonder, I'd like to put obviously a Christmas spin on it since we are here at, at this great time of celebration. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Luke chapter one is where we'll kick off today. But uh, I really want to speak to us today on the subject of faith in the faithfulness of God. Faith in the faithfulness of God. And so I'm just going to pray for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. It's wonderful that even though we are all in our different homes where we are, the Holy Spirit is present with us right where we are. And he can minister to us life and encouragement and minister faith into us. You know, I heard years ago, um, I think it was, oh, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Kenneth Copeland, but somebody like that made this statement where they said, um, fear is having more faith in Satan to harm you than in God to protect you. That's a very good statement. Fear is believing something. And, you know, we always have to be careful when we are, when we let fear enter our heart. And there's so much fear out in the world at the moment with this Omicron and all of these kind of things that are out there. You know, there's a lot of fear in our world. And the Bible predicts this, of course. Jesus said that towards the end, men's hearts would fail them for fear of things that were to come upon the earth. But he says, but you, now notice that but. Now, you know, there's a but of faith and there's a but of doubt. <laughs> it's really important that we embrace the but of faith. We don't embrace the testimony of the world, but we embrace the testimony of God. It is, but you, when you see these things, basically don't be like the world. Don't let your heart be taken in by fear, but look up because your redemption draws near. And so we're to be a people who are looking up, a people who are looking forward, a people who are looking out and expecting God to do great things in our generation. So let me just pray for us and, uh, and let's get into this word together. Father, we're so grateful for your presence with us today. We thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are in our homes, you are still Emmanuel and you are present with us. We ask you to speak into our hearts through your word. Thank you that your word always imparts faith to us, that your words are spirit and life and your Holy Spirit is present with us to confirm them in our lives. So, Lord, we open our hearts up wide to receive and we give you glory. Move in our hearts, encourage us and strengthen us in faith. As we move on from now to this Christmas season and on into a new year, we thank you for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read this passage for a moment, and uh, I'm going to try my best. Do pray for me. I'm going to try my best to preach in half an hour. 
Now, I, you know, I do do some um, radio messages where I have to get it over in three minutes. So miracles do happen. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to try. I do get excited when I preach on faith. So I'm, I'm just uh, praying for much grace in this. Here we are. Luke chapter one. Let's start in verse 26. And it is the account of Christ's birth being announced to Mary by the angel Gabriel. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow, what a powerful account. Well, I want to focus here on a couple of, um, of phrases that we get. First of all, the word of God that the angel delivered to Mary. And secondly, the response that Mary gave to it. And this is really important for us because obviously, you know, faith is all about our focus. What you focus on really in so many ways determine, determines your faith or determines your fear. And so focus is very, very important. I understand from the Greek word for faith, which is business, that it really means to lay hold on a predetermined focus. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I found in my own walk with God that, that faith for me doesn't operate unless I'm aiming at something. We've got to be believing something. We've got to be focusing on something. And that releases our faith that then releases the supply of God's power and miracles in our lives. But our focus is therefore very, very important. And, you know, the, the focus that Mary had clearly here was, um, was on the word of the Lord. Now, she obviously has this very shocking, very sudden encounter uh, with the angel. No wonder she was a little bit concerned. <laughs> she wasn't really expecting an angel to turn up at home and suddenly uh, you make this incredible announcement that the favor of the Lord is upon you. You've been chosen and, and all of that kind of thing. Can I just say for every one of us today, in the midst of everything that's going on in the world round about us, you are favored by God. <laughs> that sets you and me apart. We are a people favored by God. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a people set apart to God. That favor makes a difference in this world. When there was darkness in Egypt, there was light in the homes of the people of God. When the, you know, when the angel of death came through, uh, you know, the blood that was on the homes of the people of God meant the angel of death couldn't come in. They were protected under that blood. Brothers and sisters, we are chosen, redeemed people. Therefore, our focus and our faith needs to be on him and on the power of the blood of the lamb, as we've heard so beautifully sung today, you know, that, that has redeemed us and brought us under the covering of God almighty, that we don't need to be therefore in fear of the darkness of this world and the plagues of this world, but we can live with faith and focus on him. So he says, don't be afraid. And that's really important when I was praying for us. I so felt the Holy Spirit saying that his word to us at this time is fear not. 
I'm sure you know as well as I do that that expression comes 365 times throughout the Bible, one for every day of the year. You know, that's so important. And fear is um, fear is such a robber. You know, it really is. One of the things that's, of course, very akin to it is anxiety. The word anxiety, interestingly enough, in the Greek language means to divide the mind, to divide the mind. What an accurate portrayal. You know, um, the scripture says in Proverbs that anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes the heart glad or fills it with joy. And you can understand if your mind is full of anxiety and it's therefore it's divided. So you kind of, it works kind of this way. But what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this that starts to drain your emotional energy? And that's what we call depression. But when we focus our eyes on the word of God, on the promises of God, then faith arises in our hearts. And faith, it's by faith that we live, by faith that we stand, by faith that we overcome. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So, brothers, and sisters, I want to speak to you about this today because it's so important. You know, you can major on minors in the Christian life or you can major on majors. And faith is a real major. Without it, we can't please God. You know, anything that is not of faith is sin. It's only it's the shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the evil one. It's by faith that we're saved and by faith that we stand. You know, goodness me, this is really, really big, isn't it? So I want to encourage us and remind us, if we want to please our Heavenly Father, we need to maintain a position of faith in about everything that we do in life. And so... Um, Let's uh, let's flick on to, um, well, there's a number of scriptures we can look on here today, but, but why don't we turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment, and we're going to look about this focus of faith, which is really, really powerful in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12. It's after the great faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Uh, Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter, of course, the great heroes of faith. Like 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter. And so it tells us all about these heroes of faith. I don't know about you, but I find it a really encouraging chapter to read, because when you know the life stories of some of these people, they, they were far from perfect. Many of them made some real bloomers. But despite that fact, they trust God and they were justified by faith. And the Lord did amazing works through them. As I, I think it's... Um, Oh, I think it's John Maxwell, the great leadership guru who makes the comment, God uses imperfect people because there's nobody else to use. <laughs> That's so true. And so anyway, we're, it's wonderful to know that. And here we are as we come into Hebrews 12, verse 1. At the end of Hebrews 11, the writer to the Hebrews, who I think was probably the Apostle Paul at his style. Um, but anyway, we don't really have evidence of that, but it looks like that. He comes to the end of it and basically says all of these great heroes of faith, they couldn't be made perfect apart from us. They were waiting for something better, this better covenant that we have established on better promises. And yet he goes on and he said, basically, they are all looking down on us, cheering us on in this great life of faith. So let's read it on here. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the New Living Translation says, a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a wonderful scripture. It encourages us to keep our focus firmly on Jesus and to run the race. Uh, unhindered by the weights of this world and also by sin now sin is obvious we all know what sin is and in the context it could be talking about the sin of unbelief he might be talking about particular individual sins but the things we all know what sin is but then he also talks about weights the weights are distractions weights are things that take up too much of your time and concentration that distract you from the lord and from his goodness and his promises and the things he wants to do in and through your life. So, you know, I can remember years ago, 
I don't know if mum and dad were ever aware of the stuff that we had to go through at school, you know, having at the school that I went to, my brother went to, you had to do on a Friday from about the age of 15 onwards, you had to do the cadet force. And uh, I chose the army. And uh, really because my grandfather had fought in the Second World War and my great grandfather in the First World War. And so I kind of thought, you know, I'll do that. I'll go into the army. And so I did the army. And so once a week we had to do this, you know, this military stuff. Well, anyway, uh, about once a term, we had to do a 48 hour exercise with a real military. And that really was quite an experience. And I can remember how sometimes they would make us do these three mile runs and these hikes and put heavy packs on our backs and we'd have to lift these old Lee Enfield rifles. You know, they're not like modern rifles today because we got to use some of them as well. And they were really light things. You could throw them up and shoot them around. You know, it was a lot of fun. But the Lee Enfield rifles felt like you were lifting a heavy log above. I kind of thought, what were those men made of? You know, incredibly heavy. But the soldiers would follow us behind. And if we started to, our arms started to come down with the weight of those things, they would come behind us with a stick and whack us across the leg. That's the way it was. Mum and dad had no idea this was going on to their sons. But I can tell you something. So I, I used to keep a quick out, looking out to where the soldiers were. So then I'd take a quick puff, 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 and then put it back up again. And I would do all that kind of thing. But I can remember when we came to the end of the race, I would put the gun down and I would take the weights off. And then I'd be able to walk and to run around free. And my goodness, how much freer I felt, how much faster I could run, how unhindered I was because I didn't have those weights to carry. And I want to encourage you today, if there's unforgiveness around, if there's concern or worries about your family or about money or about health or about all of these concerns, they're all weights that we need to lay down at the feet of Jesus, who is more than able to deal with every one of those things. He's our provider. He's our healer. He's our protector. He's our good, our great shepherd who's watching over us. Cast your care upon the Lord, Peter says, because he cares for you. Wonderful. Let's do that so we can run on with confidence in the Lord. Now, under Proverbs 4, 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it come the issues of life. You know, I was privileged to be trained by uh, Don Double, great evangelist. He always used to say, life is basically a sowing and reaping mechanism. He said, if you don't like what you're reaping, change what you're sowing. There's so much truth in that. And so we have to be careful to what we allow into our hearts. If we allow anxiety or fear into our hearts, what it starts to produce is it brings separation. It separates us from others. It separates us from, from faith in God. It separates us from all of those things. It produces a weight of depression, a heaviness, all of those issues. But if we, let, if we rule our heart by the promises of God and by faith, then we can live victoriously and we can face the challenges of this life and overcome. You know, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, um, the Bible tells us, of course, this is the second time that the children of Israel come up to the edge of the promised land. We know that 12 spies were sent out into the land back in the first time round in Numbers 13 and 14. And it was Joshua 1 was the second time. Numbers 13, 14 is the first time. And so we're looking at it just briefly at the first time. But when the spies came back, only two of them had a good positive report of faith, of course, that was Joshua and Caleb. But when the other 10 came with their negative report of unbelief, which actually only became what God called an evil report, when they began to say, because of these things, we can't. Up to the point that they were just describing the conditions, it was OK, because that's what Moses asked them to describe. But the moment they started to say, because of this, we cannot do this despite God's promises to protect, to deliver, to provide, to all those things, when they said we can't do this because of these natural circumstances, God said it was an evil report. And, you know, it's a remarkable thing, the effect, I just want you to think for a moment about the emotional and mental effect upon the people when they heard that report, when they believed it. The Bible tells us in Numbers 13 that when the people heard that report, they lifted up their voices and wept all night. They began to prophesy their own deaths. 
They began to say, why did you bring us out of Egypt to bring us into this place to die? And our kids, and, and then it produced rebellion in them. Let's, let's just, let's stone these guys, basically, and let's appoint a new leader and go back to Egypt and all these kind of things. Anything but to, but to move forward in faith and trust the promises of God. Incredible. But this pattern is a pattern for us in the New Testament. We see in Hebrews 3 and 4, it is a pattern or a picture of our New Testament inheritance in Christ. And so I want to encourage us to maintain this perspective of faith and not to allow fear to rob us of having faith in the faithfulness of God. You know, in Mark chapter 11, of course, it's the famous faith passage where Jesus teaches his disciples about faith and he curses a fig tree uh, because it didn't have fruit on it when he was hungry and he curses the fig tree and it dies. It dies overnight. Um, first of all, from the unseen area and the roots underneath, and then it just dries up from the roots and it, they find it the next day and it's dead. And Peter says, look, Lord, the fig tree that you cursed is dead. And Jesus said, truly i say have faith in god now i once listened to roger forster preaching on this from ichthus and roger is a remarkable character he's still today the primary theological advisory to the evangelical alliance he's fluent in the languages of the bible but particularly strong in greek he taught all his kids to, to understand greek all his kids understand greek he taught them personally because he said he wanted them to know the truth and it's, it's quite stunning they're really really sharp characters but anyway he made this comment when preaching on this passage he said the king james version of the bible is the most accurate version at this point he says because the king james said says this jesus said have the faith of god have the faith of God. He said is literally a, a double barrel word in the Greek. He said is probably best described as have faith in the faithfulness of God. In the same way, it talks about having faith in Jesus Christ. It literally translated in the Greek, have the faith of Jesus Christ or have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Because our faith in Jesus Christ is actually in the fact that this is our saving faith is that Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life in our stead. Because if he didn't live a perfectly righteous life, he, then he couldn't have been our perfect sacrifice for our sins. So actually he lived, it was the faithfulness of Christ that meant that he was the, the, the perfect lamb of God who could pay the price for our sins. So that's why it says we're saved by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. In the same way, have faith in the faithfulness of God. I want to encourage you to do that, because sometimes if it's just having faith in our own faith, well, sometimes your faith may you may kind of feel like your faith is really up there high one day about something. And another day you may feel that your faith is not particularly high for something. But the wonderful thing is our faith is not in just our own faith. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God who never changes, who is consistently the same yesterday, today and forever. He's always, as Reinhard Bonnke said, at the zenith of his power. He's always willing to bless. He's always faithful to, to fulfill his promises. He is good and faithful and mighty and he never, ever changes. Well, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's wonderful to place our faith on the faithfulness of God. So I want to encourage us. He, he spoke to us. Jesus spoke to us then about the way the faith operates. And it, it really believes in the heart and it speaks with the mouth. It speaks to mountains. It's fine to pray about situations that look like mountains in our lives. But there comes a point at which we have to stop praying about them and start speaking to them and commanding them to move in the name of Jesus. There comes a place, you know, there's, there's two different ways. This is, Jesus said, this is the way that faith operates. And I, I just say to us today, just to, by means of encouragement, I want to share two simple testimony stories of how I've experienced this in my own life. And then I want to just move on to how we apply this. And we're going to wrap this up. I'm aiming at sort of like 11.45, 11.50, and then I just want to pray for you to encourage you. So here we go. Um, you know, Faith in the way it's applied in our lives. Jesus talked about it. First of all, we receive it from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, whether that's the preached word, the spoken word, the quickened word of the Holy Spirit to us. 
the Greek text isn't isn't specific about it being a rhema or a logos. The issue is it being preached. The, the issue is it being spoken and us hearing it and receiving it. The context of Romans 10 is the preached word, but it can also be the quickened word of the Holy Spirit in line with Scripture. But either way, it quickens faith in us. Now, the thing is, is that you can build your faith and pray on the basis of the promises of God. You come to God on the basis of what he's promised to God and you believe that you receive what you ask for in prayer and start thanking him for it. So you pray on the basis of God's provision and you believe that you receive it when you ask for it. And then you start proclaiming that it's done and praising him for the answer and persevering until the answer is manifested now that is the pattern of faith that we see throughout scripture both old and new testament as a lifestyle of faith let me illustrate this um, from when i first started off in the ministry i can remember um you know Growing up in mum and dad's home, we were well cared for. I never knew any need at all. And so I never grew up with any consciousness of any, any need. But when I went full-time in the ministry, I, I, I went uh, full-time with Don Double. And, uh, and, and this was the reality of it. We were launching out in faith. Um, and so, you know, dad was very, very uh, generous and, and kind of helped to support me with about 250 quid a month and that was very kind of him uh, that was in the first year and then actually then I had the church after about a year and a half the church that sent me out started supporting me with 200 a month so I had 450 quid a month by my second year in full-time ministry that was the only money I had guaranteed to me at all so for my first 18 months, I had dad's 250 quid a month was my only guaranteed money. I was never paid by Good News Crusade, except, uh, except I would be given gifts when I did some ministry with them. Uh, and it was never much because it was all given according to whether you had a family, whether you were a single guy. Me being a single guy, I didn't have too many expenses. So I, I was always given a, a very small gift. And, um, and the rest I had to get by faith and prayer. So I really had to prove it for myself. And I can remember the first time, um, you know, I had my own place and my first gas bill came in. Now, this is so etched on my mind that uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. And it's over 34 years ago. <laughs> but uh, but I was it was 46 pounds and 21 pence. I can remember it that specifically. And you know what? 46 pounds and 21 pence, it's pittance, isn't it? It's, it's a small amount of money. But the truth is, when you don't have it, it might as well be 4,000. <laughs> I didn't have even 46 quid. So um, I can remember, I started praying about it. I looked at that gas bill and I started praying. Every day for 10 days, I came before the Father. I laid it out before him. I said, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me, that you're my provider. And so I ask you to provide for me 46 pounds and 21 pence to pay this gas bill. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. I paced up and down my lounge every day. I prayed. I believed I received it. I spoke it out and thanked God for it and declared that it was mine. 10 days later, an envelope came through the post. I opened it up and it was a letter from a girl in our youth group back home in the church in Cheam, who's now with the Lord, a precious young lady by the name of Louise Collingsby. And Louise wrote this letter to me and she said, dear Johnny, as they all knew me as Johnny in those days, dear Johnny, she said, um, I hope this makes some sense to you. I was praying the other day and the Lord put you on my heart and told me to send this check to you. I hope it makes sense and will be a help. It was 46 pounds and 21 pence, <laughs> right to the penny. Do you know something that it's not that it was a load of money, but the fact is it's because it was the exact amount that sent my faith through the roof that my heavenly father was hearing my prayers. And, you know, I've lived today a ministry. Goodness me. It, it, for all that we do turns out, I don't know, nearly quarter of a million every year. And I every year, you know, still with all of that, 
Uh, three quarters of that amount of money comes in by individual gifts, not my monthly partnerships. So I say yes to G to lots of appointments and, and invitations every year that are going to cost us a lot of money. And I say yes to it following peace in my heart without the money in the bank to do it. But I follow the same principles and for our family and for the ministry as I did in those early days for 46 pounds and 21 pence. And do you know what? He is faithful. He is so faithful. And so I want to encourage you today to live this life of faith. It is the just who live by faith, the scripture says. In, in Hebrew, that phrase shall live is cheah, and it means shall live, shall breathe, shall be animated and alive, shall recover health. It covers the whole breadth of hum human existence, and we are to live by faith. Thank God. Well, that's the kind of faith that we live by. But then there's, there is a special faith that God suddenly drops into our heart, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, that is the gift of faith. And it really is something that just comes to us. Um, that's not something that we're just taking the promises and praying them through and building faith in our hearts. No, it's something that the Holy Spirit just drops into our heart in a moment, sometimes in the middle of ministry, sometimes while praying about something. It's the gift of special faith, the Greek calls it. It's a portion of God's own faith. And I can tell you from personal experience, you know, if God drops that gift into your heart, you couldn't doubt if you tried. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's like there's no plan B. You know, you couldn't put it in reverse. It just, you know that you know that you know it's going to happen. And I, I'm going to just share this brief story with you that um, this is one of the times that this, this happened to me uh, three years ago, actually, just before the pandemic. I was out ministering in New York, and I'd been invited to speak at this movement of churches at their annual conference. And about two and a half thousand people there. So I'm preaching to these guys. And as I'm preaching, I'm preaching on Luke chapter four. Now, if you've done any preaching, you'll totally understand what I mean when I say this. You may be preaching away sometimes and you know a general sense of God's presence and anointing on you over the whole word as you're preaching. Um, hopefully, <laughs> it'll be like that. And, uh, and, and then there are those moments where in the middle of your preaching, where suddenly the anointing of God intensifies at a certain moment, comes upon a certain verse or statement that you make, and the Holy Spirit at that moment is trying to get our attention and saying to us, right now, stop talking. I want to do something. Now, if you'll then move with him, you see not only the words of God, but the acts of God, the power of God break out. If you're sensitive to him and don't just carry on preaching through the points. Well, you know, that is exactly what happened to me. And I got to that point in Luke chapter four, Jesus is preaching, of course, uh, in the synagogue in Nazareth, quoting from Isaiah 61. And he gets to that point, which is the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. And then he goes down this list of wonderful things. And then he says to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Suddenly, I felt the spirit of the Lord come on me. So I stopped my preaching and I said, guys, at this moment, the spirit of God is on us. And he's here right now to give recovery of sight to the blind. Now, if you've got a problem with your vision right now, I want you to stand up right where you are. There are lots of people stood up around the auditorium. So I want you to put your hands on your eyes. Jesus is where you are. And as I speak the word to you, Jesus will touch you where you are. He will restore your sight and make you whole in Jesus's name. I began to speak to them and command those eyes to open in the name of Jesus. Then I asked them to take their hands off their eyes and to focus on something as an act of faith. Well, I said, if your sight is at least 60, 70 percent better, having focused on something, I want you to give me a wave. Well, 40 people gave me a wave at that time to say that their sight was restored and they were seeing better. That was wonderful. But here's a particular testimony that I want to share that is wonderful and beautiful and very powerful. There was a couple who were in that meeting that night, 
who had driven up all the way from Florida. They were church planters. It takes about 18 hours to drive from Florida to New York. And um, because of the, the, the fact that their kids were in school and all of that, they had they'd given their children over to be cared for by some friends locally in Florida. And they'd driven up all the way to this conference um, you know, in New York. And the time difference is it's about two o'clock in the afternoon in Florida, where it's now about eight o'clock in the evening here in New York while I'm preaching. Well, while I'm preaching away and I'm praying over everybody for their sight to be restored, this couple didn't stand for themselves. Their sight was fine. But their oldest son, who's now in his teens, was working at that moment. He was working at school and he had such bad vision. He's wearing super thick glasses that the, the consultant had said to him that if his eyesight didn't get better within three months, he would be totally blind and he'd never, ever be able to see again. So there was, again, there was nothing they could do for him. So he had to be he had to be educated in a separate room from the main classroom and they would be trying to help him to see and to understand everything that he was doing. Well, his parents, he's in there writing, and his parents stood up in faith in proxy for their son at that moment. And this is their testimony, is that as they stood, I only heard this afterwards, but this was their testimony, is that uh, as they stood up to, you know, in faith in proxy, their son is writing away. Suddenly, Back down there in Florida, as we pray in New York, the power of God comes on their son in the middle of his lesson, and suddenly his vision changes. He takes off his glasses and kind of blinks several times, looks at his work, and he can see it perfectly. At that moment, his, his teacher says, put your glasses back on. And he says, no, miss, I can see perfectly. I, she says, that's impossible. You cannot put your glasses back on. He says, I'm not putting my glasses back on, miss. He says, I can see perfectly. She said, I cannot accept that. You're going to have to go to the specialist before you can do that. He says, I don't mind. He says, but I'm not putting my glasses on again. Well, all I want to say to you is this is that in the following week, they took him to the consultant, to the specialist, and it was medically confirmed he had 100% perfect vision in both of his eyes. What a healer. What a savior. Thank you, Jesus. Now, that's the gift of faith that comes into our hearts at those moments. And so I just want to encourage us. You know, sometimes that comes and it just comes almost like it's unbidden. We, we weren't even looking for it. And other times it just comes in the process of us building our faith and praying through something. But I want to encourage us to have faith in the faithfulness of God and to keep persevering. And so really, I, I just want to close up by saying these three things. How should we respond to the faithfulness of God? You know, um, Psalm 107 is a beautiful psalm. And it's a psalm that records again and again and again the faithfulness of God through the dealings of God uh, with his people Israel. And it lists many, many different situations. And, and then again and again and again, this phrase comes up. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, for his steadfast love, or for his mercies to the children of men. Uh, the Hebrew is hesed, which means his covenant love. You know, God will never stop loving you and me. He's committed himself to us. It's a covenant of love that we're in, of deep friendship with him that he will never break. And his mercies are new every morning. Praise the Lord. And in that year, he tells us to give thanks to him. So really, number one, we should respond to his faithfulness with thanksgiving and praise, offering him the sacrifice of praise, even when we don't feel like it, praising him because he's worthy. And, uh, and giving thanks to him, proclaiming him to be who he is. Uh, and as we praise him for who he is, we experience him as who he is. Don't allow, you know, your view or, or image of God on the inside, your revelation of God to be dictated to by negative experiences or failures of the past or things that went wrong. You know, it's easy to allow our image of God in our hearts to become tainted. And since true worship and praise is a response to revelation of who God is, if we allow our hearts to form an image of God that is not true to scripture, then actually we're going to have a problem with our faith life. And we're going to have a problem with truly praising and worshiping God and walking in liberty and trusting God. 
So I want to encourage you to allow the word of God to wash away false images that come through maybe disappointments or negative things that have happened in life. Um, all of us have to do that so that we keep rising up and standing in faith again. Amen. It's good to read the end of the book and see the big picture because uh, we win. And uh, that's wonderful. Thank God. So, um, you know, it's, it's important that we thank God and that we praise God because he's worthy of it. It's important uh, that we have faith in the faithfulness of God and we add patience to our faith and we persevere. We break through the woman with the issue of blood. She had to break through all of those all of those people to get through. And the law of Moses saying she couldn't be in a public place, all of those things. But she pressed through to touch the hem of his garment and received the power of God to heal her. Bartimaeus had to had to continue to cry out when other people told him to be quiet. He had to lay aside that garment that was his identity and in many ways his source of provision and rise up and keep crying out until he got Jesus's attention. Sometimes there's things we have to press through, uh, believing that God is faithful. He'll hear my cry and come through for me. And then last of all, I just want to say this, that we do need to persevere. And with this, I, I want to wrap up with a, a couple of simple, uh, well, one passage of scripture and, uh, you know, and a simple story. And we're going to pray, you know, um, Luke 18, verse one to eight, Jesus made this statement about prayer. He was teaching his his disciples. Um, he told them a parable. This is the way Luke puts it. Jesus taught his, his disciples a parable, teaching them that men ought always to pray and never to give up, never to lose heart. I, I particularly remember this passage because there was a series, there was a, a season of time uh, when my dad was leading Team Community Church when he took us through a season of, of prayer at six o'clock every morning. And, uh, and I can remember that I decided that I would, uh, you know, that I would support that in this and I would go with him to the morning prayer meeting down at the church. That meant we had to get up at half past five to get down to the church building at six o'clock. And it was sometimes I was so tired and I just didn't want to get up. And I can remember one day dad knocking on the door at half five in the morning and I just kind of groaned as I turned. I said, dad, I don't know whether I'm going to make it this morning. And I remember his voice coming through quietly. He didn't want to wake up the rest of the house. It said, Men ought always to pray. <laughs> so I can remember that like it was yesterday. So anyway, so I remember that scripture particularly. But here we are, Luke 18, verse 1 to 8. And it says this, that he taught them. He said that they shouldn't lose heart, but men ought always to pray. Now, this is the, this is the parable. It's a remarkable one. He says that there was a certain widow in a town. And she needed to get justice. Um, you know, because there was this guy who's really uh, just taking her for a ride and everything else. And she keeps coming to the judge. Now, there's a particular certain qualities about this judge that mean he's not the kind of judge you want to be around or to stand before because he didn't have any fear of God. And he didn't care about people. Now, in all honesty, that's not the kind of judge you want to stand before. So he's got no mercy. He doesn't care anything about people. He's got no fear of God, which means he's got no scruples. And so here and she keeps coming to him and she's asking for justice, but he won't deliver. He won't give her any justice. But this is the thing. She, despite this, the, the character of this judge, she keeps coming. She will not give up. She keeps going and going and going. Jesus said that the, the unjust judge says to himself, though I don't fear God and I have no care for people. He said, because this woman keeps coming, lest she weary me for her constant coming, I will give her what she asked of me. Now, Jesus said, he says, take heed and listen to what the unjust judge said. And will not your heavenly father, your heavenly judge, who is a perfectly judge, just judge, who is a caring father, will he not vindicate his elect, though he bears long with them? Truly, I say to you, he will vindicate them and vindicate them speedily. Nonetheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Very clearly, he's talking about persevering faith. Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, let us imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Now, this, you know, maybe this may be a story that you've heard before. I don't know, but it is an account that moves me. And I want to encourage you with it. Um, I know mom and dad have heard it before, but it's uh, it's a powerful 
account. I, um, a number of years ago, I was ministering in Vancouver in Canada, and uh, there were lots of miracles happening, and uh, night after night, the crowds were growing. Um, and I'm about three nights in, and the place is packed, and uh, lots of people came to Jesus, and then they started to pray for the sick, and there was a whole line of people who came forward for healing. Anyway, I start going down the line. I'm praying for people. Suddenly, this girl who is who's, uh, in her early 30s, um you know she suddenly runs from the back and she pushes through the crowd she comes to me she grabs my hand and she pulls me to herself and puts my hand on her left ear now i just said i said whoa whoa whoa, whoa. i said what are you doing and this man and she looks at me and she just says i look john i'm deaf in my left ear and i don't know why tonight i've just got faith that i'll be healed and, uh, you know, I said, well, praise God. I said, so have I. Let me pray for you. And then she stops me again. And then she says something that really didn't help my faith very much. She said, listen, I've been prayed for by T.L. Osborne, by Aura Roberts. She listed all these great but people who were, for me, great heroes of faith, you know. So this didn't do my faith a lot of good. <laughs> she, said, she said, they all prayed for me and I wasn't healed. She said, but, you know, it's a good thing I knew it's Jesus who does the healing, not me. So, so he just said, uh, she said, but I, I've just got faith. I'll be healed tonight. I said, well, great. Come on, let's pray. So I put my hand on her. Well, to make a long story short, she's instantly healed and she can hear perfectly. Well, she then goes back to the back of the hall and she gets her mobile phone out of her jacket. And I wonder what she's doing. She comes back to the front. She starts phoning someone and she puts it on loud speakerphone so everyone can hear. She's literally she's taken over the meeting. So I said, now what are you doing? So she says to me, look, she says, you don't understand. She said, when I was three years old, she said, I had cancer in my left ear. And in order to stop the cancer from getting to my brain and killing me, the, the consultant surgeons made a decision to cut out the whole of my inner ear. So she said, I literally have a hole in the head. I have nothing to hear with and I'm hearing perfectly. She said, this is a creative miracle. She said, but I need to tell you this. She said, the reason I'm phoning, she said, is because my parents are pastors in the States. And when I came out of that, that operation, my parents made a promise to me that at 10 o'clock every night, they would pray for God to restore my hearing until the miracle happened. She said, look, she said, it's 10 o'clock and it's been 29 years every night that my parents have prayed at 10 o'clock for God to restore my hearing. And he's done it. I'm phoning my parents. I said, I said, love go for it. The floor is yours. And she phoned up and I, I'll never forget it because it was a hugely moving moment. And we could all hear as her dad answered the phone. You could tell by the tone of his voice, it was a, you know, a godly man. And he just picks up the phone, just hello, can I help you? And, uh, and she says, dad, it's me. He says, sweetheart, why are you phoning us at this time? And he says, well, dad, he says, aren't you and mom praying for me as you always do? He says, yes, in fact, we were just getting on our knees to pray for your hearing as we always do. And then she pauses for a moment, says, Dad, I'm listening to you with my left ear. At that moment, he suddenly goes, really? Really? He says, yes, Dad, I'm in Vancouver in a meeting. God's given me a miracle. He's answered your prayer, Dad. I can hear. I'm hearing you perfectly. At that moment, 29 years of emotion come out as he just weeps and sobs at the end of the phone and then starts shouting and praise to God. You know, I don't think there was a dry eye in that place that night, including my own. And as I left, I thought to myself, as I walked out from the meeting, I thought to myself, I wonder what would have happened if they would have given up after five years, 10 years, 15 years. Just give it up on it as a bad job or give it up on it and say, well, God is sovereign and maybe he didn't intend to answer this one and maybe this or maybe that. But, you know, something sometimes sometimes we don't always understand these things. Sometimes it's spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's really coming to a place of faith, of genuine faith and in our own hearts. And sometimes there's things that we may not know until the other side. I don't know. But, you know, maybe it's like Dutch sheep says, you know, we're all into, into microwaving and God's into marinating. I, I don't know. But I do know this, that God is faithful. And you know, he's not on trial. He is faithful. And I want to encourage you. If things have been difficult, if things have been challenging, and if you've let go of some of the promises over your life or over the lives of your loved ones, this is not a time to give up. This is a time to pick up, to stand up and to pick up those promises again 
and begin to lift them before the Father again and grow in faith and in patience and trust him. He is a faithful God and he will bring you through and bring me through, bring us all through in great victory. It is our faith that overcomes the world and it'll be a testimony to the glory of God. Amen. Listen, it's been a huge privilege to share with you today. Thank you so much. And uh, let me just pray for you for a few moments. And uh, I appreciate our time is pretty much up. But I'm just going to, if you need healing, uh, would you just rest a hand on your body where you are? But, uh, you know, above everything else, I'm also going to pray for you that the Lord would expel any fear. And actually, he would flood your hearts with his love. Perfect love drives out all fear. God's love is not passive, of course. It's active. Take a good long look at the cross. Remember the love of our heavenly father. Remember what he did for us. His love will protect his love will keep, his love will provide, his love will heal. Let's look to him now. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your presence with us this morning. I do thank you, Lord, that you love every one of us. And we thank you that your love is demonstrated in the cross. And we thank you that your love also flushes out, drives out all fear from our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray right now, Lord, for every one of us this morning, that you would pour out your love into our hearts and flush out any fear, fear of COVID, fear of, of lack, fear of sickness and disease, fear of death or dying. We break it and command it to go. Leave in Jesus' name. I pray a lifting off of any heaviness and of any fear or anxiety. And I pray, Lord, a new impartation of confidence, of faith in you and in your great love and in your faithfulness. I pray right now for, Lord, for each one of us today, release from infirmity. Be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, touch each one that needs healing in, in the back, in the lungs, in the joints. Be healed in Jesus' name. In the prostate, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ right now. Father God, in the neck right now, that condition, be healed in Jesus' name. That gentleman who suffers with tinnitus, I command that to be healed in the name of Jesus. And the lady who has the beginning of the formation of cataract, I believe it's in your left, your left eye. Uh, I command it to dissolve in Jesus' name and your sight to be restored. Oh, Father, we just bless you today. That person who gets like a fogginess over, over your mind and your thinking, let that lift today. In Jesus' name and clarity of thinking, replace confusion. Peace to you and clarity of mind in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank you for your presence with us. And I pray that this Christmas, Lord, and as we come into this new year, will be a time of great blessing, great peace, great joy and anticipation of all that you're going to do in and through our lives in the coming year. We thank you that you're with us in Jesus' name wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.